Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Welcome to the PTBC Podcast, where we will be talking with physiotherapists, clinic owners, entrepreneurs about exciting topics like innovation and all things business-related in physiotherapy. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Sanjeev Bhatia. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And uh, I'm also joined by my colleague, Justin. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Perfect. So Sanjeev is involved in uh, many exciting projects in the technological stream as well as uh, with the business side of physiotherapy. Uh, he's on the board of directors for Call Hero, which is a company that allows clinics to improve their call conversion rates to new assessments. Also, he's uh, involved with Embodia and Maggie Bergeron to create strategic partnerships to take uh, the tech company to the next level. And also, Sanjeev is involved with uh, Clinic Accelerator, which uh, allows owners to systematize their clinic operations and obtain more profits. To get a full list of their services, you can visit uh, www.mycallhero.com and uh, also uh, embodyapp.com and Clinic Accelerator. You can just Google it and it will be available to the public very soon. You should do all my intros, man. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's time to get down to business. All right. So how are you today, uh, Sanjeev? Yeah, I'm coming out of, uh, as it was mentioned to you guys before, a podcast, uh, four days, like, trapped in my place, just, like, working away. Nice. So I get in these, like, moods where I'm just creating a building or solving, and I just have an addictive personality, so I'll just, like, kind of do that for four or five days, not see anybody, and I had to shave before I came here, so <laughs> <laughs> take a shower, nice. but I got a lot nice. done, so it's yeah. good to be out of the house. Yeah, for sure. Chatting with you beforehand, you definitely have a very interesting personality and a very diff- uh, very different and uh, new perspective on things. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to ask you if you could give us a little bit of a preview about your story from graduation till now, where okay. you ended up. Um, I'll go a little bit even one step before graduation. <laughs> <laughs> so like, my passion has always been physics first. Okay, so it's something that I have been doing since I was a teenager. And um, when I was deciding on um, university and like what my career would be, I thought I was going to just stay in academics and do that. But with immigrant parents, trying to explain to them, hey, what are you going to do with a physics career? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to do my physics. No, 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 no. no. You're going to do something else. <laughs> so uh, I went into uh, physiotherapy. Um did my master's there. I graduated and quickly moved into uh, practice in the U.S. So that didn't last too long. It lasted less than a year. And if I think back to myself, the reason uh, it was because of uh, just the mentorship I received. Um, in the few clinics I went into, it was a lot of what I call now like shake and bake. So hot packs, cold packs, putting people on stem, um, see as many people as you can. And um, I kind of just got disenchanted with it. Uh, I had uh, uh, two brothers who were at the time doing their MBA. This is like 15, 17 years ago. So (laughs) it was a little bit rare at that time. And they advised me that if I was going to go back to school, do it now. So I went to the University of Windsor, did the MBA program there. Ended up on one of my co-ops working at Bell Canada in a very like small black ops group um, for the office of the CEO. So uh, I got to see really cool projects. I worked in a, a project called Project Chapleau, which was a town in Northern Ontario where we were dropping fiber optic cable into the town and wireless mesh. And I got to live there for six months, helping the town leverage technology to drive socioeconomic change. So the hospital, um, tourism, small medium business, town council. And that really opened my eyes to um, how technology can not be the answer, but part of the answer. Technologies always have to answer it. The other half is how you use it. Uh, and then I, you know, when Bell was uh, maybe, there was a rumor it was going to be sold by, I think, Teachers Pension or broken up, uh, I applied for a job at Lifemark Health as a business analyst, and I stayed there for about 10 years. So I know this is a little long story. <laughs> um, but 
the first five years there, I was working on their proprietary EMR, practice management software. So um, helped design that, build it. But really that job, that role exposed me to how people work in the clinic. So building technology around people like front desk, um, office managers, business managers, clinic directors, clinicians, what have you, you actually learn, it's a, it's a learning how they work. And then in the last five years, I had felt like I was running a small business there, my own business. So um, I could literally just pick projects, um, you know, with the CEO's guidance that helped solve challenges around the company. So I've worked in almost every division of that company, um, seen the change hands a couple of times. And then at some point, we diverged. So our values diverged, I would say. And I moved on, found some great mentors. Um, in the business world outside of Blackmark that really believed in me, invested in me. Um, Rick Lau was one of those people. So um, Scott Marcaccio from IoT Talks was one of those people. And I just started building businesses and um, meet great people like you guys and owners. And now I'm kind of filling that role for other people where I'm mentoring them, building my own businesses and trying to find alignment around everything you do. So. That was a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're not timing. <laughs> yeah. So you're uh, currently working uh, with the Clinic Accelerator now. Can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing there and how you got started with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically when I exited Lifemark, um, I wanted to retire. And I was just going to retire and um, go back and do my physics full time. Like, But I wanted to write a book. Um, I read this book uh, a long time ago, I think it was called Bank, about an investment banker in Toronto and what behind the scenes was. And leaving um, Lifemark, I said, man, there's so many things that happened to me, my own stories, and I wanted to write those in a book, but every chapter was going to be an operational patient experience strategy as well. So that someone reading the book, like an owner, can just take all the strategies that I've built over time that I know work, and they can use them. And uh, obviously, I showed that to Rick Lau, and he was like, don't write that book. <laughs> he was like, if we can combine forces with our um, experience, expertise, our content, and we can build uh, a site where owners, managers, um, uh, people like yourselves, they can access it and um, run a better business. So that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half, been in a cave, um, creating the content the strategies, tactics, tools, metrics, training material, implementation steps, all in a digestible format for owners to use. So um, that's what Clinic Accelerator is, and it'll be released to the world uh, in July. It's like yeah. having a baby. <laughs> Jeez. It'd be great to get our hands on that book. <laughs> uh, so, uh, interesting enough, I still have been writing the book, mm. uh, and uh, I've shopped it around, like what I've written so far to a couple of publishers. And it looks like it's going to happen. Oh, wow. Nice. So, Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I got it. Thank no, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm always, I talked to about 15, 20 owners a week, actually, through Call Hero, Accelerator, and Body, uh, what have you. And I'm always humbled by, like, how little people know about the invisible hands at work in the industry. Yeah, it uh, definitely sounds like you've bounced around the physiotherapy profession, the healthcare medium. And um, I'm sure our listeners would love to know what kind of your vision is uh, around physiotherapy, where it's headed, what mm -hmm. kind of trends you hypothesize will happen. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that? Let's uh, pick one of those. <laughs> so I will kind of sum it all up into physiotherapy is under attack. In what way? So it's under attack in multiple ways. So first, let's talk about the economic forces at work, okay? And to do that, let's talk about, let's frame our, um, I'll frame my answer in terms of scale, okay? So if you're one clinic owner, you're facing totally different uh, challenges, opportunity, you have one clinic. But the economic forces, you still have to deal with them, okay? And we'll get to what those are. The second is you have, um, you're, you have one clinic, you're, running, you're trying to run it really well. You have no desire to like have more clients, okay? which a lot of people do, and it's a very good lifestyle if you can pull it off. But then you have people who want us to have multiple locations. So they have what's called a network, okay? 
So say three to five clinics, ten clinics, something like that. The game changes now because you have multiple locations. The game will completely change. Then you have a scale where you have a community network. And a community network is different from a network because a community network, the clinics work together in sync. So if you have an account like um, a small, uh, like a local business, okay, like, okay, let's pick another business like Walmart. And they want to send a Walmart employee to your clinics. Can they send them to any clinic and offer the same service? Or do they have to send them to one because the clinics are not connected? They're not a community of clinics. So that's the difference. Then as you scale up, you um, create, uh, say you get 30, 50 clinics. Now you have, um, but one of you're a big player. And when you're a big player, you can lock down contracts like MBA. You can lock down contracts like employer. So you may not be so focused on the private patient revenue because you have a large network of clinics and your value of your company changes not necessarily on how much profit you make. It changes on how many clinics you have. Okay. So uh, you can see at different levels of scale changes, right? Um, or if you're trying to build a brand like BioDetox, you can buck the trend. You don't need to build 100 clinics to have a $100 million company, $200 million company. You can do it with 10, 15 clinics to the brand is very strong. Talking about reaching millions of people a month through social media, there's a lot of value in that. Okay. Um, now, what are the economic forces? Oh, sorry. I'll add one more option for those who want to be clinic owners out there. <laughs> you can build a specialty clinic. Okay, so you do one service and you do one service really well. Um, a friend of mine, Andrea Mendoza in BC, she has the Scoli Clinic. They treat scoliosis patients and it's an underserved market, right? You don't need to be everything to everybody. You can just hit a, focus on a niche that's underserved, have a very successful business, not align it with your passion, help a lot of people who are underserved, right? Because maybe they go to a rehab provider that doesn't have a specialty in that diagnosis. Okay, so. You can build a rehab technology company like Maggie, like myself. So, but all those different scales, all those different options are still susceptible to market forces. So here's a market force that everybody should be aware of. The unemployment rate for physiotherapy is less than 1%. So if you and your business do not have strategies um, and tactics, tactics without strategies and strategies without tactics, it doesn't work. So if you don't have strategies and tactics to respond to that economic force, low unemployment, you could find yourself in a real danger corner, in a corner. So you have to have those things operationally in your clinic to respond. You don't have to solve these economic forces. You have to reduce them or minimize them, put them in a box, because you won't be able to solve them. Okay? You can only kind of put them in a box. Another economic force is rooted in the education system. So we were talking about this before the podcast started. Um, you know, the, the education system is so heavy clinically, which it has to be to be, you know, to be at this level professional. But the industry is inherently entrepreneurial. So you have people starting businesses, local clinics, and they don't. I'm not saying you have to go do your MBA to do that. But you have to surround yourself, especially in this day and age. You don't have to do an MBA. You have to. Surround yourself with a framework to be successful on the business side. That could be mentorship. That could be courses. That could be um, how you arrange your time, even. You're not treating 90% of the time working on the business. You have 10%. You have to arrange your time. So there's another market force. Okay. So here's a third one. The industry, like any other dental, like uh, any other healthcare provider, it's going to, it's going to consolidation. Um, you have big players. Um, just acquiring clinics, and but they're backed by big money. Okay, so private equity sitting on the sidelines. A lot of people want to get in on clinic uh, network of clinics, and um, right now in Canada we have three big players, but they're backed by big money. And you're going to play ball with them, or you're going to go not against them, but you're going to just run your own business and compete. Um, and you know the amount of clinics they own compared to that how many out there is a very small percentage. But they are the ones acquiring. So if you're an owner and you want to retire and sell your business, sometimes you think that they're the only players in town, that one of these guys have to buy me, or maybe someone will from within my clinic will purchase it, right? But those are just three economic forces at work that you, if you don't, are you not aware of them? 
then you could be susceptible to a lot of risk. Like someone who goes on maternity leave. What happens in an economy with like low supply and insatiable demand? Low supply of therapists and insatiable demand of service. Because you can walk outside right now and look at anybody on the street and be like, yep, that person can benefit from um, a plan of care. Posture, feet, nagging injuries, repetitive injuries. It's just, so that, so essentially like the demand is so big you don't need to compete with people. You just got to structure your business so you can tap into it, right? You shouldn't be worried about the clinic around the corner in, in, in terms of demand and supply. What you should be worried about is, sorry, in terms of demand, in terms of supply, you should be worried because who's to say that your therapist doesn't go on maternity leave and someone's trying to swoop in and grab them while they're gone. Here's a typical example. A clinician goes on maternity leave or paternity leave, okay? And the owner may not be in contact with that person very often around those 8 to 12 months. But it may be another company is. So you have to have a defensive strategy and tactic. Month one, I'm going to send them um, an email with five patient comments telling them they missed them. Month two, I'm going to send a basket like, uh, hey, the baby, welcome, like, congratulations. Month three, I'm going to have them Skype into our team meeting. Month four, I'm going to send them on a course of embodiment. These are all defensive tactics so that a, a big player or another clinic doesn't swoop in and attract your therapist to work for them. That's the one percent point. Good bad time. Right. So with these changing courses, um, with a variety of options available, right? We can open an OT clinic. We can open a clinic that we can further franchise down the road. What is your advice for a person, a new grad, for example, or a person three years into their physiotherapy career, yeah. um, going and trying to open up their clinic, or should they stay away from that? Because according to Maddie, our previous podcast, mm -hmm. uh, he said physiotherapy is getting very local. They cover about two and a half kilometer ra radius, yeah. which seems fairly small according to us. But uh, what, do you, what do you think your advice is? Well doesn't seem small when you're in a densely populated area. So 2.5 kilometers in Toronto could be <laughs> thousands of people. 2.5 kilometers somewhere else, no, that might not be relevant. So, um, you know, I might debate that a little bit. But my advice to someone coming out is, I'm going to take this from a more existential answer. Okay. So, Justin, what's the most powerful thing in the universe? Sitting on top of your shoulders, your brain. My brain. <laughs> you have. I don't know this brain. <laughs> you, it is. It's essentially a quantum computer, but you have the most powerful thing on your shoulders. And if you understand the market forces at work, you just have to figure out where you need to be positioned to be successful, whatever success means to you. Okay. So I would tell someone two years out, five years out, just graduating. Doesn't really matter. This area, this industry is kind of green field. It doesn't really matter where you want to be positioned. You just need to surround yourself with mentors, people who have done it before. And yeah, just like structure dictates function in my world. So live a very structured um, work um, kind of life, right? I have a deep, deep respect for project management, which is one thing that like uh, working at a big company, we never had a project manager office. And now to me, looking back, I mean, that was crazy to me because this whole game, 99% of this game is the ability to execute with your teams. And if you're not keeping track of tasks, you're not keeping track of metrics, you're not having conversations about those metrics, like what can we do differently? What's the one thing we would do differently? What's the one thing we did well? If I gave you a magic wand and you have to fix this, what would it be? That's the conversations we have about metrics, not if it's going up or down or back. So it's about structure in order to execute. You can have all the strategies and tactics in the world, but if you can't execute with your teams, and if you don't have a project management office um, at that scale, where you're running a hundred over hundred clinics, like yeah, you're going to run into like a lot of problems trying to execute. Right? So you talked about metrics, um, and we discussed this before um, about KPIs, key performance indicators. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how it's relation in terms of the operations of a clinic? Yeah, I have found. Okay, so my physics hat on a little bit. I've always just believed that um, from simple rules can come a lot of complexity. And 
I didn't make that up. I learned that. <laughs> so I wish that was me. But um, essentially, whether I'm working on a technology and a business, an idea, what have you, I'm looking for the most simplest rules. So over the years, I found the simple rules that allow a clinic to be to operate um, successfully clinically, which means people are committed to their plan of care and they're getting the outcomes. And um, from a compliance point of view, like you're running the clinic structurally so it can run itself, you can unplug from it. It's not dependent on you, you're not plugged in as an owner, okay? So what are those things? Well, I could, I could list those five or six things, but it's really about um, those metrics that represent patient experience, okay? Let's start with marketing. <clears throat> you have your digital marketing and you have your community outreach, okay? Um, I used to like hire marketing companies and they used to throw metrics at me like cost per click and this much traffic and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't give a shit about that. Okay, oh, sorry. I first. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, like, I don't really, I, I partner with them strategically so they can do what's best in my interest and they're the experts. It's not something I want to bring in house. Okay, technology moves. Marketing is essentially data and technology now moves very fast. So all I ask them to do is um, tell me from the digital marketing money I'm giving you, how many phone calls are you sending? So if I give you 500 bucks a month, and you tell me you send 100 phone calls to me, <clears throat> I paid five bucks per phone call. Okay, and then I might ask them like, hey, yeah, what platform is generating most phone calls? Facebook, Google Business Listing, this ad you did, because then if you know they're on top of it, I see. Um, gains, I'm going to give them a thousand bucks. And over time, they're going to get really get to know my business. But it's all about those two metrics. How many phone calls are you sending me? Okay. For the amount of money I'm giving you. Everything else is just noise to me. Just do what you like, what you told me you were going to do. You're the experts. But once they send those phone calls, okay, then the ball's in my court. Okay. And this is a learning I had helping run like over 100 clinics <clears throat> that. The phone um, could be like 80 to 85% of the way someone contacts you. Even though online booking is gaining, online booking is a double-edged sword. Okay, I'll get into that in a second. But the phone is a patient experience. Okay, sorry, sorry, let me take one step back. Why do we look at number of phone calls in marketing? Because it's a quick indicator to us about someone's experience online with your business. If they hit your blog, they hit your social media, they hit your website, is it engaging enough that it motivates them to call you? Okay, because that phone call means they took action. That's all I care about. You took action. Okay, I would rather a hundred people visit my website and thirty call than a thousand people visit my website and ten call. Make sense? Yeah. So that's about engagement online. The next one is the phone. So that phone call is going to get generated. And what two metrics we look at on the phone? And the whole existence of call here is built on this. How many phone calls are we answering? your answer rate, and how many new patients are we booking? So if you get a 1,000 phone calls a month and your front desk team is answering, say, 80%, okay? It's a little higher than average. That's 200 phone calls that hit a voicemail. No human being picked up, right? We're finding about 10 to 12% of all your calls are going to be new patients. So that's 20 people, 10% of 200, 20 people that called your clinic and you didn't pick up. Do new patients leave voicemails? Is there a corner? Is there a rehab option on every corner? Yes. Do you think they have their internet open with multiple tabs like we do, look, looking for an Italian restaurant? If they don't pick <laughs> up. I'll call this person. And for sure, for sure, yeah. Exactly. So you have to be able to care of the phone in 95 percent. Okay. Second, they might pick up the phone. That's fine. But if they can't book that new patient, they can't offer a friendly experience. They don't ask like what happened. They don't ask their name. They can't go for the close, right? Maybe they're not trained with the right scripts to respond to price, scheduling, availability. What happens when they say, I'll call you back? Well, why are you spending money on marketing? Marketing and phone performance are tied together like space and time. You can't have one without the other, okay? But those two metrics, answer rates and new patient booking rates, are experience metrics, okay? But if you do that well, then it sets it up for the assessment, right? They had a great experience online, they called, you picked up, 
you were friendly, offered great experience, you book them. Now it's really teed up for the assessment. Okay. So when they come in and they meet with a therapist and they're assessed, this is the time where engagement, they were engaged online with your content, they were engaged on the phone, but they're not yet committed to their plan of care. The therapist has to transition them from engagement to commitment to the plan of care. Okay, it has to happen there, that assessment. So that's why we focus a lot, not on the clinical side of the assessment, which you know you guys are trained to do that really well, so was I, but where you train on how to develop rapport with a stranger in 50 minutes. And do most, if you, here's another marker for us, for us I left off. Patients are now consumers because they have more choice. So they have way more choice online and offline now. So if you don't offer a great experience right off the bat assessment, the likelihood that they self-discharge three, four sessions from then could be very high. So working with your therapist, looking at um, a metric we call book to prescribe ratio. So if I, okay, Justin, you came into my clinic and I assessed you with my treatment plan, I would actually prescribe a number of sessions based on my experience and expertise. For your frozen shoulder, you might need 10 sessions. It might, Justin, it might be a little bit less based on your commitment dedication, but I think it's going to take about 10. And I'd like you to book all 10 um, before you leave. Okay. And then I'd ask you from zero to 10, how committed are you to this product? So I can do a quick check. If you say eight, I know something's wrong. And then it gives me an opportunity to say, okay, do you want to talk about price? Do you want to talk about, et cetera. But I got to get your commitment to the plan of care and assessment. Okay. So say I get that. I have to keep it, okay, through the treatment sessions, okay? People's lives get busy. My kid could be sick. I could be, I could be something happening at my work. I could be on vacation. I can get disconnected from the plan of care. So you have to have tactics that keep people committed through their plan of care. And I learned that being a personal trainer through school. I put myself through school personal training. And a personal trainer, somebody signed up like 12, 26, 52 sessions at 70 bucks an hour with no funding. They know they're experts at developing rapport and keeping it. And, um, you know, a lot of great therapists can do that. A lot of great clinicians can do that. And when you do that really well through the treatment plan, a lot of other things kind of take care of themselves. They will give you a referral to a family friend. They will tell their work colleague. They'll leave you a Google review. They'll come to your event. Those kind of things have structure behind them, but they do kind of take care of themselves when the patients won't come into the plan of care. So the, 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 the metrics I look at, a book to prescribe ratio and assessment and patient visit average, which tells me if, if I, Slava gave you an assessment, on average, how many times does someone come in? I remember I did this analysis, quick and dirty analysis in a clinic in BC where they had hired a new grad and he was there for about eight months. And I asked the clinic director, like, how's it going with that new grad? She was like, oh, it's great. He's doing a great job. Blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I ran a re quick report over eight months, and I just took the amount of treatment sessions divided by the amount of assessments that person did. 2.7. That means for every assessment we were giving that new grad, the patient was staying 2.7 times. And she told me he's doing great. How much damage had that therapist done to the, to the reputation? Because everybody, every patient goes out, and you ask them, how was ABC clinic? They're like, oh, I stopped going after less than uh, three sessions. Or they go to their doctor, and the doctor says, how was it the place I sent you? Oh, I stopped going. So, and it's not the clinician's fault at all. Again, they're not trained they're into like how to keep patients committed. If anything, things are working against them. And uh, it was funny, my first year at LifeMark, one of my best friends who was there at the time, he's not there anymore. He told me, uh, you know, we make money in spite of ourselves. That's what he told me. <laughs> Like, first week I was there, I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, listen, he's like, this whole game is propped up on assessments. Because someone doesn't come at Monday at 7 o'clock, stop coming. Well, guess what? They're going to slot someone new in there. So you have a business that's propped full of assessments, not focused on getting people to finish their plan of care, commit to it. But what happens when those assessments go away? Right? And there's more money being left on the table from people like, this person already came into your business. Why are you, and you, they only came three times instead of seven to 10, which just seems to be the industry average. Focus on that, getting them to complete their plan of care. Not try to get more people who don't know you into your business. There's more revenue being left on the table from that. 
And there's a couple other metrics that work that way, but essentially the game is you got to take patient engagement, transition to patient commitment, and nobody is going to argue with you that a more committed patient to the plan of care is going to get better outcomes. And that's the whole game. Outcomes is the game. I know a guy in Stony Creek who has a clinic, he does zero marketing because he's so focused on patient experience operations that he gets people to complete their plan of care. He doesn't need to do marketing. He's getting people outcomes and they're telling people in the community. So that's what Accelerator does. It gives you that those patient experience operations, strategies, tools, metrics, training material, implementations, everything you need to DIY with access to our team. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it because it seems like being in this physiotherapy industry myself, most owners seem to be focused on getting new assessment, getting new patients. It's all about that, new marketing, new mm -hmm. patients. Yeah. But in reality, the key performance indicators unlock the fact that we need to retain the patients for a longer period of time, create a better image, and then generate more marketing value. Especially um, uh, Banyo here from Promotion Physio and Promenade. She's mm -hmm. been there for longer than 30 years. and She's also similar, like the gentleman from Stony Creek. Yeah. Does very little marketing. It's all word of mouth. Her patients are being retained for greater than 20 years. Yeah. Which is amazing because they focus on patient experience and everybody's coming back. They're bringing their families and it's a great operation. Yeah. But she relies on great people, <laughs> great physiotherapists, great admin staff, yeah. great managers. How do they become great? That's what I wanted to <laughs> ask you. <laughs> Because it seems like you've been able to surround yourself with uh, great people throughout your career and get the right connections. What kind of advice would you have for people out there to surround themselves with great people, make those meaningful connections, and really um, create a great network? Um, that's a good question. I think just um, just trying to have like more interactions, like coffee, taking advantage of coffees, like lunches. Um, being a, like putting out great content that you're passionate about will attract a lot of those kind of people. Um, but essentially, like, uh, yes, you can surround yourself with great mentors and people who think like you and don't think like you. And but the what I kind of um, stress to owners I work with is you have to build a solid org chart, org structure, clinic organization structure. So if people don't know what rules they're in and their tasks and they don't have the right tools to be successful, you're screwed. Because the business has to, okay, let, let me say it this way. I can walk into a clinic and tell, are they playing pickup basketball? Where like people come to work and they can get a game going, sure, okay? Or are they playing like an NBA team? We have roles, everybody knows what roles, we know what tasks, we have tools, uh, we're looking at metrics, how many assists we made, how many shots we made, and then we're practicing training, getting people to buy in to the culture of the team. And if you build a strong org chart, you you know those different types of businesses I said, the same other community, you can do all of those. Because you have a strong org chart, you have a strong team. Okay? So you should be looking at your org chart and just figuring out, um, is it in place or are you doing everything? Okay? As an owner, everything's coming at you. Right? I was just talking to an owner this morning and I put in um, with him one of the strategies that university profs use, office hours. <laughs> I said, oh, take office hours, because he was being interrupted when he was trying to do work. Someone's coming running it. Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Right? And he couldn't get anything done because his work chart wasn't in, in place so that his leaders can make decisions without him in the best interest of the clinic, the clinicians, the staff, and especially the patients. He hasn't mentored them and put them in these roles to be successful, so he's answering everything. So first thing I did is said, hey, create office hours, show people when you have open office hours, show people how to book one-on-one -on -one time with your schedule, and if someone comes in and disturbs you, ask them, is this an emergency? And if they say yes, you help them. If they say no, then say, hey, come during my open office hours or follow the instructions how to book in my calendar. Otherwise, you're going to be disturbed all the time. Right? So it's less about who you're surrounding yourself with in my world. It's about building that org chart, mentoring your leaders, clinic director, patient experience manager, community manager, chief fund officer, so they can be empowered to run the business without you. You should be able to go to Paris 
and still have visibility on your, on your business and the metrics on your phone, but understand that your team can run the business without you. Okay. Yeah, so you mentioned about work culture and team culture. What other features do you look at when you look at a clinic that's successful in terms of their work culture? Like in terms of you look at the receptionist, in terms of like what they're doing? Um, oh, I do a quick litmus test. I'll go to, like I think I did this, um, I'm not sure if I did this in the talk with you guys, or maybe it was the Western students, but I asked everybody in the room, um, hey, I'll take someone out to dinner right now if they can tell me the mission statement at one of the clinics they worked at. Can you guys? In a way. <laughs> no, because it should be that simple, Yeah. right? Yeah. Look at my detox, reinvent rehab, future-proof your body. Very simple things to remember, right? Just do it. Protect this house under armor, right? So the mission statement, the vision, the mission and values should be right off the top of your head. You work there, right? But having, so to answer your question, Justin, having a mission, vision, value statement is nothing without having the tactics to make it come to life. Remember, strategy and tactics have to go hand in hand, okay? So say you have a mission statement. Um, we want to reach 1,000 people in Vaughan deliver 10,000 treatments and um, remove 500 pounds of plastic from the ocean in 2018. So it's an objective mission statement. It's something you can share with your staff every week through like an update email, a high five email that says, hey guys, we, we reached, we're at 800 patients so far that we uh, reached out to, we delivered this many treatments and we removed this week three pounds of plastic from the ocean. That's a strat that's a tactic. You sent an email out giving them an update. Okay. So your culture, mission, vision, and values has to manifest itself operationally. If it doesn't, like it'll just sit in some document, like, oh here's our mission, vision, and values, and you'll never look at it. But if you do it right and you can operationalize your culture, you will and I've seen this happen, you have basically took those economic forces and you are dictating them now. For example, at Mono Detox, when I worked with them for six months, Scott Vin, they had such a strong culture and such a strong mission statement. Like people want, this is like kind of Generation Z type stuff. They want to be part of a movement, Generation Z, right? And they had such a strong culture and statement and they backed it up with content that they didn't need, they didn't have recruitment problems. You have the big guys with the recruiters on staff calling people, looking on LinkedIn, putting ads out, the recruiters that they pay. But they have such a strong culture, they can put up one Instagram post and get 100 resumes. They completely solve that economic challenge, less than 1% of employment. And you, you don't have to go on that scale where you have to build a big brand like that. But if you have a great culture in your clinic and people are bought in, it's way easier to make change. Right, because people are bought in. But when you have a great culture, the therapist will tell their colleagues in the community, and it will start attracting talent to you. And the great thing about our industry is most people are contractors, aren't they? Most clinicians are contractors. So how many of those contractors feel like they're renting a room in a house? It's renting a room in a house. Renting a room in a clinic. <laughs> they might not. Um, maybe they have. Uh, they probably don't have any career planning. They might not get along with the owner. They feel like they're in a rut. How many therapists are overworked or burnt out? These are all persona characteristics of a contractor. So if you have a great culture, it's way easier to attract someone because contractors can be attracted. I can go on and on, but like the idea is set your mission, vision, and values. Don't leave it in a document. Have it manifest tactically at the clinic level. So every week you have three or five small tactics to drive your culture. And I'll, for the listeners on there, I've learned that patient storytelling is the best way to do that. You start talking to therapists about, look where the business is going and look how much money we're making. Hey, shit about that. They want to know like about patients and their stories and comments. Right? We're, in the, we're in a totally different industry. We're in the, in the caring industry. We're in the people industry. So. Sure. That's... Uh... I told you 50 minutes would be enough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so many things to ask. But uh, um, 
to wrap up, a couple of questions that we really wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, you spoke about a lot of great uh, systems and habits to put into the clinic. Mm. We just wanted to know about some personal habits that maybe you employ to be successful and uh, maybe some owners that want to, yeah. that must have to be successful, maybe highlight the top couple or three. Okay. Um, first one is definitely project management. Okay. So mm -hmm. again, everything in 99% of this game is the ability to execute. So you have to be, um, project. I don't care if you're just writing it down in Google Sheets, you like a bunch of steps, you're putting it in a sauna, like I do a task management, um, or you have like an action plan, like you write it out, you're old school, which is fine, you print it out, leave it on your desk, post on your wall. But you have to be knocking down those tasks, okay? Second is, again, you have to lean on your team, your org organizational structure, you can't do it on your own. You have to empower those people so they can make decisions, okay? and I think like the third one I, I use is like, there are so many great technology apps that like you could use to help like put around you to run your life. So for example, Slack, okay? Say I was talking to an owner in Victoria, BC um, this morning, coaching them, okay? So like through Clinic Accelerator, we have um, a set of clinics that we coach and one of the things um, we're going through is they have a large set of uh, clinicians and we're implementing potentially Slack there. Have you guys used Slack? Yeah. So it's like a, yeah. uh, it's really cool. But like how do you, uh, you can just, instead of emailing your staff and they get these emails and emails and emails, you can use Slack. It's a little app they can download and you can say like, uh, I remember Scott and I at my detox, we were out and he was looking at backpacks to buy the staff and he had two colors. And all he did was take a picture of the two backpacks, blast it on Slack. This was a Saturday night, okay? <laughs> blast it on Slack and said, who, how, how, what backpack do you guys like? And people started like on their phone, like chiming in. I like the black. In about five, 10 minutes, he had his decision made. So he involved his staff in the decision on the backpack. And that's a great way to drive your culture by using a technology that's so simple. Yeah. So... We've come to the segment in our podcast where we talk about books. Um, yeah. Is there any specific book that you could recommend to someone who wants to improve their business acumen? I'm not your guy. No? No. I'm not a book, I'm not a book guy. You're not a book guy? No. Um, I actually have trouble reading books, like getting through it. I think because my reading is so, um, like, uh, start and end. Like, yeah. I'll read, um, like, an article. Um, I, I consume a lot of lectures online. Right. But I use, again, these physics fundamentals um, to that's what I've learned to kind of drive my work. So if you haven't heard of the Richard Feynman way of learning, I highly recommend you look up Richard Feynman's way of learning. Richard Feynman was a, um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him, but he can help like learn a new topic and help solve it. Okay. He worked on the Manhattan Project and there was this um, story where these engineers have been working on this problem for like years and he helped them solve it in three days by facilitating that discussion. So that technique is very powerful. I would say um, another one is have, I have a very deep respect for the scientific method, but I use it in business. So first we come up with a hypothesis. Okay. Um, then we come up with how to test it and then we test it. And uh, if it's, it, uh, the test doesn't match the hypothesis. Well, guess what? It's wrong. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter what your name is. Doesn't matter what role you're in in the clinic. If it doesn't work, drop it. So staying in that scientific method works in the business too. And that's where a lot of the clinic accelerator tactics came from. It's tested over and over again. And I'll give you an example of that. Do we have time? Yeah. Net promoter score. Okay. Everybody heard net promoter score. So there's this trend. Like I saw a lot of articles. I'm like, okay, this is how you, this is how you calculate net promoter score. Take all your promoters minus percentage of detractors. You get this score. Okay. Like 40. What, what does that mean? What's a 40? Okay. <laughs> I looked up. Apple was like 57. Disney was like 67. I'm like, okay, like, what do I do with this? It's not an operational tool. It's an economic tool. 
to figure out where you are according to some index. Okay, I can't use that as an owner. I can't use that. What am I going to do with school for you? And then I saw a lot of articles on like um, maybe not as recent, like emailing out the question: Would you recommend a family or friend to this clinic or whatever it is, something along those lines? But then people's emails are already like overwhelmed. How many? What are your? And then you got to look at open rates. Did people open this? And then when they responded to it, someone's got to go in that spreadsheet and like look at all the data and like what are you doing with that metric? If you're not doing anything with it, what, why are you collecting it? And then I saw people doing tablets. So at the front there'd be a tablet and it'd be like, fill out it on tablet. And okay, well, people are writing on the tablets their comments. How do you get those comments out electronically and share them with your team? It's going to be very difficult for you, especially if you don't have a business background, technology background, remember, economic forces. So sometimes technology is not the answer, right? All I did, I created a little card, <laughs> like a postcard. And I trained my front desk staff to give that card out, its net promoter score on it, with a script at assessment after they're booking their appointments. And the patient just puts their score, like, okay, 8 out of 10, and they write a comment. And they give the card back. And they leave. And that card now, it's like a piece of paper, right? I can share that. If I see that they have an 8, well, guess what? They're going to get a call from me the next day, the clinic director or someone, and be like, hey, What's the one thing you loved about your experience? What's the one thing you would change about your experience? But what the clinic director is calling that person who gave an eight and trying to decipher what were the concerns of this person after the assessment? Are they frustrated in some way? What's, are they anxious after the assessment? Because if those things ring true, which they might be because they gave an eight out of 10, anybody who doesn't give a 10 gets called. If they, um, figure that out, if they don't figure that out, the likelihood the patient's going to self-discharge is going to go way up. So that's one way to use the score. We use it to call people the next day, right? But what about the comment they left? And I've seen some amazing comments. I've seen like, well, I want to marry Lisa, right? And she's <laughs> like, I'm so glad I found her. There's some amazing comments. But if you're not sharing that with your clinicians through like a high five Friday email with some comments on there, you're not sharing it through like one-on-one, -on -one, we call them IQ3 meetings, one-on-one -on -one time with the therapist every two weeks and showing them five cards and saying, this is what people are saying about you. Recognizing the therapist, motivating them, or even possibly correcting behavior. Or you can use those cards at team meetings and hand them out. They, those cards facilitate patient storytelling, do they not? There's a comment on them. Isn't it so? That's what they do. So, again, how many ways did I just use that card? These three. <laughs> and we can even take those cards and build a collage in the staff room of a wall of wow. And the chief fund officer just goes every week and they take a few cards out and replace it with new cards. And now you took the MPS card and you operationalized your culture. You can't do that with an email or tablet. You can't do that with some net promoter score equation. I, I haven't done it. Maybe someone out there has done it. Contact me. I'd like to hear how you did it. But the best way to do it is to take that score call, take those comments and operationalize the part of your culture. And sometimes... And a lot of times they say technology is not the answer. Seems so simple yet so so rules <laughs> exactly. from simple rules can come a lot of complexity. Mm -hmm. You guys ever hear of uh, the game of life? I think John Conway was a mathematician. No, no. You can look up and for the listeners, look up on YouTube Game of Life, John Conway. He was a mathematician that built a couple of rules into this game. You were born, you have to have some kind of social interaction, so you, you interact with somebody something and then you die just those three rules i think i think so and when you put that in to a program you get all this complexity you he got things that moved a tail he got mobility he got a lot of like fractal patterns but those three rules created so much complexity what's the rules of dna very simple rules for dna how much complexity is it yeah sure so i took yeah. that concept in the business world yeah. and i don't over complicate stuff with like these EMRs these days, I think Jane App's doing it the best, but the EMRs, they, they're over-designed. Yeah. They're Ferraris that people drive like Corollas, these EMRs, <laughs> right? You don't need all that shit, yeah. right? Yeah. And just look for those simple rules, and like that's what Clinic Accelerator does. It shows you what the super rules are, the metrics, all that, so you can implement them. Look, look, let me say one more thing because I know, sorry, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> I'm a chatty Kathy. You, you guys knew that going in. So, um, 
look at the fault alone. Okay, we had a customer call hero that was doing. Three, we have a customer call hero doing three thousand calls a month. Okay, answering at seventy percent. Just by getting them to ninety percent, the business went up fifteen thousand a month. We didn't even work with them on the new patient booking rate. <laughs> Just answering the forum phone more, man. Wow. But think about it. What's 70% of 3,000? 2,100. What's 90% of 3,000? Right? 2,700. <laughs> so they answered 600 more. Yeah, But they answered 600 more calls. Okay? Yeah. If 10% are going to be new patients, 60. that's 60. Yeah. 60 times, I hate saying this, but we use this silly rule of thumb. That each new patient with five hundred dollars in revenue, I actually think it's five thousand. But what's sixty times five hundred? Thirty thousand. And now let's do a sensitivity. Let's do an honesty cut. Even if half of that was true, just by answering the phone more. And this is happening in dental. This is happening in uh, veterinarian clinics. Anywhere they're picking up the phone, right? Physician offices, things like that. Yeah, that's amazing. You've given us uh, a lot of amazing food. We can do a whole series for you. Oh, I can talk. I can talk like twelve hours. <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> sure, and it's been a pleasure having you. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners, if you could give us some links to your social media accounts, where listeners could uh, reach, yeah, uh, sure. reach you and get a. Uh, not that prevalent on Instagram, but I do. I'm on Instagram, so it's the Sajid Bhatia on Instagram. Um, and pretty much that's the only social media I use. I can go off on social media right now. <laughs> okay. okay um, but if you want to find uh, what we're working on, me and my team, uh, it's mycallhero.com. And soon you'll be able to find Clinic Accelerator. Uh, and, uh, you know, I work with Maggie on Embody and a couple other things I can't say that are coming down the pipeline. But I will let you know that everything I work on, they align together. So I won't do anything, I won't work on anything that doesn't align with the other things I'm working on. So, sure. it's been amazing, great conversation. We had a All lot right. of fun, a yeah. lot of laughs. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us. Thank awesome. you so much. Yeah. yeah, I want to say one thing before I leave. If that's okay. Okay. I just like uh, really inspired by you guys. I don't know if uh, like I've said that to you formally. I know we we chatted a few times, but you guys are like light years ahead of where I was when I was your age. The fact that you're even having this podcast, you're like doing your clinical training. You guys are everywhere, so I have a like I, I, that hasn't gone unnoticed to me. So I just really felt honored to come here, chat with you guys. I I looked, I heard some other podcasts you did, and I'm looking forward to the ones you do in the future too. So you guys are definitely the, the future of rehab <laughs> to me. Thank you. We appreciate yeah. the kind of words. We'll right. definitely try our best. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you, you very much. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time. time.